Father God, what a wonderful privilege it is to worship you and to sing your praises. You are so worthy. And what a great call to to put on the love of the Lord. Father, thank you for sharing your love. Thank you for that love that changes us from the inside out. Thank you for the amazing privilege that we can put on your love as we put on Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So God, we ask that you'd help us today to put on the love of the Lord by giving us the mind of Christ, as your word says. That, Father, as we enter into the preaching of your word, that, that you would be pleased to shine the spirit of the living God into our minds so that we could have the minds of Christ in a way that allows us to understand what does this Nehemiah text have to do with us? And how does it point to you? And how does it cause us to put on the love of the Lord? Give us the mind of Christ. God, we ask that you give us the heart of Christ. And Father, you want us to love you with all of our hearts. And I ask that by your grace and your design, all for your fame and your glory, that you give us newness of hearts even today. Hearts that beat for Jesus God, I pray for each one of us. I mean, there might be some here today that Jesus isn't a part of their heart. And may today be the day. There may be hearts here that have been beating for you for years and years and years. But God, wherever we are, wherever you find us, would you please, because you're here with us, would you give us newness of hearts? Refresh us. May they beat for you. Father, we ask that you would give us obedience to Christ. That because we want to put on the love of the Lord and because we're people that are yours and that have submitting ourselves under your word, would you, through your spirit and through your word and through this preaching, God, would you cause us to be obedient to your son, Jesus? And Father, I pray that the things that I say are true and contain the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would use those things to make us more like our savior, your son, Jesus The things that I say that are wrong or they're merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. May you and you alone receive glory. May we receive joy and challenge, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read together God's word in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, as we are in our third week. Today the Lord has for us verses 1 through 10. Uh, You may read along with me. If you don't have your Bibles, the words I hope are on the screen behind me. But let's be mindful. This is God's love letter to us. Never lead us astray. Holy, inerrant. What a privilege it is to be God's people under God's word. Hear God's word. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, now I had never been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. But why should not my face be sad when the city, 
the place of my father's tombs lay in ruins. The graves and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I gave him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and let a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the forest of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter, letters. Now the king had sent them with me, officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, the Hornonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone came to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. God, richly bless the preaching of your word for your glory, we pray. Amen. Okay, let's set the scene. We're in our third week here, and we just uh, read the story. We got Nehemiah. Nehemiah's uh, title is cupbearer. Um, he's one that goes before the king, and, and he tests the wine. But he's a whole lot more than maybe just a, a low-end servant. I mean, Nehemiah, being a cupbearer, had access. He's, he's more of, of a cabinet member. He's more of one of the inner circles, even amazingly, as a Jew, he's one of the inner circles of this king of Persia, the most, the most famous and the, and the most powerful man in all of the land. It's an amazingly uh, uh, unique and intimate role. Again, maybe with a realization of what's happened with Osama bin Laden and realizing that it was through a courier, through an insider, that that we had access to bin Laden. You can see how important it is for those cupbearers, for those who have access to the king. Matter of fact, how suspicious they might be, even of different behavior. They might be suspicious of, why are you sad? Are you thinking of something evil? Do you have a plot against me. So that's kind of a little bit of the setting. We, we hear a little bit more of the setting. Uh, uh, it's been four months, unbelievably, since, since Nehemiah first heard the news uh, that the city of Jerusalem uh, still remains ransacked, that the temple's still destroyed, and, and uh, the gates are all burned. It's been four months so he's had four months to pray. Remember last week we started off by saying, you really got to, before you rise up, you got to bow down. You got to have a, a foundation of prayer. And so four months have passed, and that will put us about March, April 445 is the actual setting of this story. It's the new year. The month Nisan, uh, around uh, that, that time of, of March or April will be new year. Uh, maybe that's why wine was present. Uh, usually at, at most uh, uh, New Year's celebration, wine is present. If you're Baptist, it's more of grape juice or, or something else. Um, but certainly it's a New Year's celebration. I thought that was going to get a joke. You'll laugh. It was not in my notes. No one did anything. Um, but anyway, it also says kind of informally that the queen was present. And interestingly, you want to say, is this Queen Esther? 
those of you who know the Bible story, you know that Esther's coming. Uh, another amazing story of a Persian king and how God called her to save his people. And you, we put together chronologically, if we study this real closely, this is not probably Esther. As a matter of fact, it might not even be a queen. The word here used for queen, uh, it could be like his favorite one of the, uh, the harem. This may be his favorite squeeze. We don't know for sure, uh, but all we know is that she's present. So what does that tell us about the story? It probably tells us that this is more of an informal setting. Um, kings uh, of that day and age uh, wouldn't be with their queens if it were certain events of very public settings. Uh, isn't that kind of sad? Um, so this is probably a little bit more of an informal setting uh, where you have Nehemiah in the presence of the king and maybe the queen, not Esther. Uh, maybe she really is queen, but maybe she's just the main squeeze. Uh, and that's what's going on. It's a New Year's celebration. The wine is flowing. Everybody's excited. King's got a new year. He's got a great agenda agenda plan. He's got all these initiatives. And all of a sudden, one of his closest friends walks in and he has a request for the king. You can tell by his face, he is sad. He is broken. And the king notices it. And he says, what's up with you, Nehemiah? What's up? I've never seen you like this before. I've never seen your face fallen. Why are you like this? This has got to be a reflection of your heart. And you got to know, it's actually, it's, it's a death sentence for Nehemiah to go into the king's presence sad. He couldn't do it. I mean, if you read Esther 4.2, uh, you read Esther 4.2, it says that uh, you should not, in those Persian kings, ever come into his presence with sackcloth. Isn't it sad that kings don't want reality? Isn't it sad that some kings just want to associate themselves with all that's good and all that's happy, let the wine flow? Matter of fact, uh, the book of Proverbs, let's look at what Proverbs 16, 14 says uh, about us uh, going before a king. It says this, Proverbs 16, 14, a king's wrath is a messenger of death and a wise man will appease it. So really for Nehemiah to go into uh, the king's presence um, and to kind of break rank and to go in sad is an amazingly courageous thing. And even God's word says, listen, you want, to, you want to appease the king. And what he's going to ask of the king, we read the story. And what he's going to ask of the king, you may say, well, you know, what's the big deal? He's, he wants to go back. He wants to rebuild. But there's a lot more to that. Because what Nehemiah is asking, first of all, he's got the crazy audacity to go in the king's presence, sad and, and downcast. But more than that, you know what he's going to do? He's going to say to the king, I know you made a decision not to let him rebuild. I know you made a decision to let Jerusalem remain in rubbles. I want you to change your mind. How many times have you been around a powerful person? I mean, somebody with authority. Now, changing their mind oftentimes is a very difficult thing because you know what? They want to save face a lot of ways. A lot of ways, uh, a king, especially in those days, a king was supposed to be directed by the gods. And for him to change his mind, it's kind of, really? What's up with the king? But this is, what, this is what Nehemiah was really requesting. Let's take our Bibles. Let's turn back uh, one book to Ezra. Ezra 4. Ezra 4, 11 through 22. And here's, here's what's happening in Ezra. Uh, a letter was written to this king saying, hey, you got to stop this. And if you don't have the word, uh, let, me, let me read it for us. This is a copy of a letter that was, they sent those who were trying to keep the building of the wall and the, and the temple in Jerusalem. The king Xerxes, the king, your servant, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting 
And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to use uh, from up to you uh, to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toil, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Isn't it amazing how devious we can be? Talk to the king where it hurts. Talk to the king what's really going to let him feel it. Now because we eat the salt of the palace, and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king in order that a search may be made in the book of records of your fathers. You will find in the book of records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and providences, and that the sedition was stirred up in it from old. That's why this city was laid to waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and his walls finished, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. Wow, they want him to stop. So this king... The king right now that Nehemiah is facing had already gotten this letter. In verse 17, the king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander of Shemeshai, the scribe, and the rest of the associates who live in Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river, greeting. And now the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me. And I made a decree and search has been made. And it has been found out that this city from old has risen against kings. And that it is a rebellion and sedition have been made in it. Uh, And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem who ruled over the whole providence beyond the river to whom tribute, custom, and toil were paid. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease, that this, this city may not be rebuilt until a decree is made by me and take care that no slack be in this matter. Why should damage come to the king? Wow. So here you have Nehemiah. We have the setup. Now we know uh, how dangerous this was. He's asking for the king to make a decision to reverse this and to actually build that city, Jerusalem. Nehemiah shows us three things. You want to follow along your bulletin for now on? You have them. Nehemiah teaches us the secret of his success. And they are these three things. How to prepare for success. Who gets the credit for success. And recognize the opposition for success. First one is this. How to prepare for success. I have for you in God's word today, seven little keys that are real easy for all of us. It'll show us the biblical text. These are transferable to all of our life. Um, Very easy things. Again, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was present before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. The first thing to prepare for success is this. Be on time. Be on time. I mean, and this isn't so much saying, you know, if you have a meeting at nine, be there. I know I struggle with that. This is more talking about timing in the Lord. This is more about talk, timing in life. Be on time. Get your ducks in a row. Uh, I, I think even of this church right now, we're trying to look at our, our next initiative, our small group initiative we're so excited about and say, you know, the timing is really the fall. Let's do everything we can to kind of get ready for that and get ready for the launch to prepare our hearts in prayer and whatnot and really be ready. And I got to say this, if you want to be on time, the only way to know God's timing, the only way is through prayer. The only way. The only way for us to know when God is prompting and leading is for us to be in communion with him and walking with him and knowing, with him, knowing him. And that's why Nehemiah, the first thing he did was fast and pray. 
The first thing he did, he realized that God is calling me to an amazing task and my timing is going to be, have to be impeccable here. So four months go by. Four months for him to, to do all those things, to get ready, to prepare. We're going to see, was he prepared? Man, was he prepared. But his timing was this. He was a man on time. Why? Because he was a man of prayer. How's your timing with the Lord? How's your timing? Is it time to leave this job? Is it, is it time to ask her to marry me? Is, is it time to come here to do that? What's timing? May we truly be people in prayer. Not only be on time, be real. Be real. Take off the mask and don't fake it. Take off the mask and don't fake it. And I tell you, for Nehemiah, it was dangerous. It was so dangerous to be real in front of the king. But let me tell you, first and foremost, I have such good news. It's not dangerous to be real in front of King Jesus. King Jesus knows the reality of your situation, your sin, and your brokenness. And if you need to come before him in sackcloth and mourning and weeping, he will not despise you. This is King Jesus who stands on a sermon and he gives an amazing sermon on a mount. I say, say, stands on a mount and gives a sermon. There you go. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, who weep, for they shall be comforted. Isn't it so good to know that this Jesus, you don't have to pretend in his presence because he already knows the truth of you and your situation. And he calls us to be real to be real with him and to be real with one another. Listen, because of what Christ has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the reality that he has forgiven us of our trespasses and sins, because he has brought us from light into darkness, because he's brought us from being alien into his family, because all that Jesus has done for us, and he'll never change his mind about us in Christ Jesus, we're the only ones in the world who truly can be real. Isn't that good news? And the reality is, is we can go about this world. Yes, we limp because we're broken. Yes, there's still pieces that don't fit. But God says, because of what I've done for you in Christ Jesus, take off the mask. You don't have to pretend. Be real. Even in the king's presence, be real. Listen, what a disservice we do if for those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, those of us who have been forgiven, those of us who have been brought close and made a part of the family, joint heirs in Christ. What disservice we do to God, who's forgiven us so much, who's made us joint heirs with Christ, if we pretend, if we, we aren't real. I mean, we're basically saying the gospel's not good enough to set us free. It's not quite powerful enough for us to take off our mask yet. We still gotta pretend. And, and Orangewood, I want the Holy Spirit to come and just, just, just tell us the truth, remind us of what Jesus has done so that we truly can be real. So we can be real before Jesus Christ because why? We are the people that are His. We are the people who are forgiven. We are the people who set free. We're the only ones who have the ability to be real. And oh my, does God call us to do just that? Then he tells us that we not only should be uh, uh, on time, but we should be real. We should be tactful. Verse three, I said to the king, let the king live forever. I mean, what, what, what a great response. And, and I don't think this is disingenuous. Uh, I think that this is uh, tactful in a way that he knows he's going into the king's presence. He knows that he's going to be seen as not happy and he's breaking protocol in the least. And I also think he knows that God has established all authority. And he's going in there and he's saying, may the king live forever. I mean, how much tact? Let me just start off by saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. 
I'm putting a cup in your hand. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take you down, but I serve a greater king. I serve a greater king than you. And I, I got to respond to him. But I'm going to do it intact. And you know what he says? It's so great. He says, uh, here's how tactful he is. He says, uh, the, uh, the tombs, the sepulchers of my fathers, they're all in ruins. I got to go rebuild them. I, how brilliant. You know what he doesn't say? You know Jerusalem, that place that it was really bad, that, that place? I got to go back there. He, what he does, he talks to a king who in the ancient Near East, the tombs of their fathers are very important. Think pyramids. Think pyramids, okay? How important are tombs of the fathers? They're big time. Deal. And he's saying to a king, your own language, along with the king, and by the way, my father's tombs, they all lie in ruins. He's speaking his language. He's setting them up. And he's doing it tactfully in a beautiful way. So those who are successful, they plan on being on time. They're being real. They're being tactful. We see in verse three, they're also in four. You know, in four, you have the king saying, okay, what is your request? And so what does he do? What's the first thing he does? When he hears, what is your request? What are you asking? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Those who prepare for cess, be prayerful. He prayed right before the ask. Anybody who's a salesman probably knows what it's like to pray right before the ask. Maybe some of those of you who are asking for different things, you just want to say that, that quick prayer. But let me make it known. Foxhole prayers are great. God is gracious let me strongly encourage you, right in that tough situation, pray. But you know what really made this work? He had already done the basic training in prayer. I mean, this isn't his first prayer. Oh my goodness, and before the king, let me, let me quickly say, God, help. I mean, what has he been doing for four months? I mean, he's been fasting and weeping and before God, he's been laying a foundation of prayer. But what he knows is this, pray continually. May I start, continue, and end with a conversation of God so I can align my will to his. Be in prayer and be specific. Verse five, be specific. You know, what is it you're requesting? Well, if it pleases you, send me back to Judah that I may rebuild the city. Let me be real specific that I may go rebuild it. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to go and do a little, uh, uh, you know, search out the area, see where things are going and how it's happening. I'm going back to rebuild it. I'm going to be really specific with you. I think those who are successful are very specific. He was prepared. Be prepared. What's a king going to ask? I mean, I love the fact that you could see, what was the king's response? How long are you going to be gone? I'm reading a little bit into this, but I'm just, I'm realizing that this king loved Nehemiah. This king trusted Nehemiah. This king was worried. You know, how long is it going to take you? And he, he tells us in the scripture, it's interesting, he says, I gave him the time and he let me go. He didn't tell us how long. It's going to take 12 years. It's only going to take like 52 days to build the walls. It's going to take 12 years. But he was prepared. He was prepared to be able to say to the king, this is what it's going to take. Be thorough. Oh my, was he thorough. Verses 7 and 8. Uh, what, 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 how, how smart Nehemiah is. He says, listen, I need some letters for the governors. Uh, I'm going to, he knows the name of the dude in charge of the forest. I mean, he, he knows the guy's name. Asaph, the guy that you put in charge of the forest, I'm going to need some timber for him. So he, he's, he's thorough. He knows uh, what to ask for and, and specific about asking for letters. And really what he's asking for is this. Let me ask for t- permission. Can I go? He's asking for time. 
He's asking for supplies. He's asking for references. And he does it so tactfully, so skillfully, even knowing the name of the guy who keeps the king's forest. Be prepared for success. Where does success start for Nehemiah? Well, we saw last week, certainly begins with the foundation of prayer, doesn't it? But we can see very clearly that as he went through those things, man, is he a man of timing? Is he real? Is he tactful? Is he prayerful? Is he specific? Is he prepared? And man, is he thorough? But he knew who to give credit for, for success. Look again at verses eight and nine. After all that homework, after all that insight, after all that he has done that was really, really smart on his part, he says at the end of verse 8, and the king granted me what I ask. Why? Because I was really thorough. Why? Because I was really clever. Why? Because I was really winsome. No, none of those things. Why? For the hand of my God, the hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the province of the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent with me the officers and the army and horsemen. Who does Nehemiah credit for success? Nehemiah knew it was God. With all the preparation for success, all the prayers offered for success, all the due diligence, Nehemiah knew to bow his knee and say, to God be the glory. If I'm going to have success, it's only because God's hand is upon me. We see right here in Nehemiah a very amazing truth. We see the sovereignty of God coupled with prayer and human activity with wisdom in action. I mean, Nehemiah knew that God was in control, but he still prayed. God used that prayer, still aligned himself with prayer. Nehemiah knew that God was in control, but he still did everything he could in his own, in man's eyes, to do what was wise and right. Cromwell said it this way. Men, trust God. But keep your gunpowder dry. Trust God. But keep your gunpowder dry. How come I had a hard time saying gunpowder? Man, oh man, such a good line. Trust God, but keep your gunpowder dry. There you go. So why pray? We pray to align our wills with God. He hears them. What is God calling us to do in your life, in your marriage, in your work here at church? Do everything you can with due diligence. Be wise. Use God's standards always. But ultimately know, walk by faith and know who's in control. This Monday, uh, Katie and I had a follow-up procedure uh, ensuing, making sure that everything's okay, ensuing uh, her cancer ordeal, and all went amazingly smoothly. It was a, just a great report. Uh, this week, I get a call from the hospital. They want to check in and say, they ask the question, could, anything, could we have done anything better? I have actually, for the first time in a long time, when someone asks, can we do anything better? I usually have a long laundry list of things to do better. I'm like, Really? It was great. So I said, you know, the only thing I could think of, and I actually said this because I have moronic tendencies, I said that the nurse uh, forgot her pen. I had to borrow, let her borrow mine. And she didn't give it back. I'm still having an issue with a nurse that didn't give me a pen back, you know? Like, hey, that's our pen. That's our pen. Um, give it back. We have big procedures going on, but give it back. I want the pen. 
I was able to say, thank God that everything went so amazingly smoothly and so well. But God was so good. Let me ask you a question. Do you understand? Do you really understand that every good and perfect gift comes from above? Do you really understand that all your success, that all your blessings, that all of the life that God gives you is a gracious gift from his hand? Everything. Everything we have that we call blessing comes from him. The only thing we can take credit for is sin and brokenness. But here's the reality. I know I've watched my wife do everything she can do to remain healthy. And when we get the report that she's healthy, God, it's it's so easy to get all the credit. But what about when things don't go that well? Does God still get the praise and glory? Is he still in control in those difficult situations? This is the easy one. This week was the easy one. Giving God glory this week, it was easy. Easy. Well, I remember one of the procedures we went to in January, um, and, I, and I said, you know, I have one prayer request, God. I have one prayer request, one big one. I'm going to push up there. And is that, would they be able to find her vein? That's a difficult thing sometimes. So can they just find her vein? I got one prayer request. And as she went into the procedure, and they went, and it was time to see if they could find her vein, they, they, first guy, he struck out completely. I mean, I'm telling you, she's like a pin cushion. So they bring the second lady in, 0 for 2. And they start bringing the third one in. You know, they start, you know, getting a pick specialist to come in. And I'm telling you, I'm ticked. I'm like, God, really? I got one prayer request, one little prayer request, one little prayer request, find a vein. My phone rings. I'm not kidding you. It vibrates. It's my mom. Okay. Well, mom, I'll take it because you'll pray. So, Mom, you got to pray right now because they can't find Katie's vein. Just, just pray for her, will you please? What? You're calling, me to, you're calling me to pray for somebody else? What? The person said that I'm the holiest man they know. Will I pray for them so that God will answer my prayer? Are you kidding me? I am 0 for 1 here. And I, I just said, God, I don't get it. I mean, I just had one little prayer request. I could just hear... Katie, deal with the nurses. And, and God in his spirit, just let me know, I'm answering your prayer. But they just needed to see what a child of mine acted like that was just being pricked over and over and over again. And she was saying to him, I'm so sorry. Oh, we'll just get it. And they just needed to see Jesus. And Jesus needed to remind me that my success was a whole lot different than what his success looked like. He had to push me a little bit to be able to say, to God be the glory that Katie's a pincushion today for the glory of Christ. So I know it's easy to be able to say, yeah, my, my one difficulty, that a nurse took my pen. It really was a, wasn't even that nice of a pen, but she took it. And also remembering that he answers prayers differently than I often think about. Who gets credit? Listen, our God is in control. And, and you know, I, I know some of you bring in such broken stories here. You know, I, I know your story about your son who's, who's wayward. I, I know about the marriage divorce papers. And I don't know all your stories. You know, I, I know that there's red numbers. There's nothing in the bank. 
I understand that there's some really difficult job situations. I understand that we're, there's some health issues that are really, really deep here. I mean, we're, listen, we're a broken people, but we're a love people. And, and our, our God still reigns and our, our God is in control. And we got to trust his sovereignty, his goodness. He gave us Jesus. Will he not freely give us all things? The reality and the last thing is recognizing the opposition to success. Do you know that we're in a battle? <laughs> I mean, you, you do know, right? You do know that individually we're in a battle. And do you know that our church is in a battle? And do you know that there's a battle that rages around us? Do you know that, that as we try to seek the blessing of God, there are those who would love to thwart the blessing of God. These fellas got upset that there was somebody who wanted to come and bring the shalom of God, the peace of God to Jerusalem. It made them angry that someone was going to go out there and try to seek the peace of God to God's people. And we got to know, Orange, where we are in a battle every day. And there is an opposition out there. Sanibalot and Tobia. Tobia, a good Hebrew name, means God is good. Sanibalot, well, he's got his heathen name that means the moon God gives life, whatever. But Tobia, he should have known better. They were displeased and they were trying to do everything they can to seek not blessings, but misfortune. Are you praying for your church? Are you striving to build her up? Do you know what a battle we're in? Do you know we have an enemy who would love to keep us from moving forward? Seek the welfare of God's people. Isn't that everything that Jesus did? Seek the welfare of God's people. Did Jesus not come to seek and to save the lost? Did Jesus not come to those whose walls in their life had been broken down because of sin? Did he not come to mend the broken? Did he not come to revive the dead? Did he not come to take back the captives? That's Jesus. That's what he's done. He came and he knew the enemy and he defeated him. He defeated him for us. He was sent by the Father. The Father prepared for him a body. Jesus, he certainly prepared for success. He knew who to credit for success. He knew it was all by God's grace. He recognized the battle that raged, and he was successful. Why? Because he was on time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under under the law. Because he was real. He was tangible. He was real. He was God in the flesh. Oh, how he was tactful. He veiled his glory, the glory of the second person of the Trinity in flesh. He became one of us to rescue us. Oh, how tactful he was. He was prayerful. Sometimes he spent all night in prayer. I mean, it amazes me. He's God. He's one with the Father, and yet he spends all night. In prayer, he was specific. He set his face like flint at Jerusalem. He knew he had a cross to go through and he knew he had a triumph over death. He says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. He was specific. He was prepared. He knew he had a battle. He knew he had to battle Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. He knew he had to take on death itself. He knew he had to become our sin and oh, how he was prepared. He was thorough. He was thorough. He says, all that the Father has given me, all that the Father has given me, I'm going to know them by name. I'm going to rescue every one of them. And guess what? 
I'm not going to lose any. None. None. All that the Father has given me will come. Nothing can snatch them out of my hand. None. Is that you? Are you rejoicing in how thorough Jesus is? Oh, was he thorough with the law. He completed it perfectly, every jot and tittle. So a holy God can look at us broken people and say, not only forgiven, but beautiful. Complete in Christ Jesus. Know how he credited the Father for success. I could do nothing. I could do nothing apart from my Father. Nothing. Did he recognize the opposition? And did he step on his throat? And did he win victory for us? Crushed the head of Satan. Broke apart the bonds of death. And now we can live. Orangewood, this is the call that Jesus has for us. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring us God's welfare, his peace, his shalom, his mercy, and his love. He's come to rescue us. And now he says, now go and build the city. Now go and build this church. Build your life on the love of the Lord. Put on the love of the Lord. Put it on. It'll change your life. Now we're called to seek the welfare of this city. Seek the welfare of those who sit next to you. Why? Because Jesus came for your welfare and for mine. That's why I love being involved in Jobs Partnership. I love the fact that that's a ministry that's tangibly trying to seek the welfare of our city, try to seek the welfare of the broken, uh, try to uh, bring nurture transformation uh, in our community and our church to rebuild what sin has destroyed. Final thought. There is no success apart from Jesus. There is no success apart from Jesus. There is no peace apart from Jesus. There is no life apart from Jesus. There is no lasting joy apart from Jesus. There is no building without the grace and mercy of Jesus. We build this church in our lives for the glory of God. Do you know him? Are you serving him as he's brought you that welfare and peace? He's shown us right here. Here are the steps to success. Here's who's credit success. Here's the opposition, but I've defeated it. Now go and build in my name for my glory. Let us pray. Father God, what an amazing passage, an amazing man you've called up, that you've called to go and do your bidding and your task of rebuilding your city. And God, we could sit here at Orangewood and say it's so far away from us, but the reality that Christ came so that we could do just what Nehemiah was doing, so we could build the city of God together, so that you would use us to to mend that which is broken. We could raise up a church, a community, in love with Jesus for the glory of God so we could say, Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I know that you've given us minds to be able to prepare for success and you're pleased when we do all that we can to do what's right, but ultimately it's your sovereignty and your goodness that is our hope. It's that God is in control. 
today, tomorrow, and forever. And our God reigns and our God wins. And God, may we live our lives in that light. God, may we always do all things to give you glory, to know where any of our success comes from. It's by your grace. It's through your hand. Father, we don't have to battle an enemy who's not defeated. Our enemy has been defeated by the work of Christ, but oh, is he still active and he's still powerful. But God, we pray for the health of each individual, that God, that that enemy would be vanquished completely. That God, you'd raise up this church to shine brightly for Christ Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know the peace of Christ, may today be the day where they realize that they could put on the love of the Lord even now by embracing Christ as Savior. But for the rest of us, may we take off the mask and live our lives being real for you and your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.